It's football's biggest week. I know it's Vegas, and it's a lot of fun, but for us, it's, it's a business trip in, in the true sense, and we're going there to play a football game and, and try to find our way to win it. I think that has to be the mindset uh, starting today. The Chiefs are in their, their, what, their fourth Super Bowl in five years. While we might be under the radar, I guess, to people on the outside, I think the Chiefs are very aware that we're not under the radar at all. This is a Super Week edition of Dirt and Spray. Brought to you by George McCoy at WarrenAllen.com. Injured? Don't trust just anyone to something so personal. Call George McCoy at Warren Allen. Online at warrenallen.com. Super Week with Dirt and Spray on 1080. We know we're seeing something special. The Fan. All right, welcome back in. Hour number two. Sean Hyken up at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but we start the uh, the second hour of the show on the Odyssey app, 1080 The Fan with uh, author of the new book, Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL. Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM, NFL analyst, and you can catch him on his podcast, The Real GM Podcast Shuffle. It's a really good listen for anybody who wants to dive into the NFL. And Michael is uh, kind enough to join the show yet again. He's on Twitter, at MLombardi NFL. Michael, we've got a Super Bowl this week. It's here, baby. I love it. Don't you love it? It's so good. It's a great time of the year, although it's it's a little bit like Christmas Day. You know, it's great that Christmas gets here, you open the presents, and then you realize winter's coming, and you got to deal with it, right? And then you got to wait another long time before it, you know? So, uh, anyway, but I'm going to enjoy it for the moment. Yeah, no, I think all of us are. It's it's a good one. Niners-Chiefs, a rematch from 19. I know America felt like they were rooting for the Lions-Ravens, but we get Niners-Chiefs. I, Michael, I'm not, I don't have your expertise in the sport. I try to be as knowledgeable on it and read up on it as much as I can. And I've concluded that for most people, it's just this simple. Who has Patrick Mahomes and who does it? Is that how it breaks down for you? Well, I mean, that's, that's a good way to start, right? You can't go wrong there. I mean, you've been proven right over time. So that, that's a good start. But I think more than anything is who's playing well, right? The Niners haven't played very good in two games and yet they're here. Let's just break it down. They gave up 10 touchdowns all year on the ground. They've given up five in the playoffs. They've given up 9.6 yards per pass attempt in the regular season. They've given up 12.1 in the postseason. They've given up 4.1 yards rushing. They gave up 5.6 in the postseason. They haven't played good. I mean, it's just a fact. They haven't, and they got here. And that's a testament to their mental toughness, their drive, their, their, their ability to, uh, to, to find a way to win the game. But – can that continue? Can that lack of being really good playing continue? That's the hard part for me. I'm having a hard time getting over it. There's no evidence to support you saying the Niners are going to turn it around. Yeah, it's it's one of the rare, like, the underdog feels like the favorite and the favorite feels like the underdog. I, I, I was thinking about Super Bowls in my life, and one of the Super Bowls I have that feels the same way is that raider Bucks Super Bowl years ago. The Raiders. Oh, you got to bring that up. I, seriously. I, I, you have to bring that up. You have me on the show and you want to walk down memory lane on one of my worst memories. I Are you kidding me? You're I, doing that to me I, on, yeah. on an early morning? We're good enough friends for me to say it out loud. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but like it, it doesn't happen very often where that, and that's kind of the feel here. I know the Niners are favored by what, less than a, a two points or what have it, but Kansas City coming and what, what? Part of the reason I think people are taking Kansas City is not just Mahomes. The defense is electric. It's fantastic this year. What, in your view, makes Spags so good? From somebody with experience and who I can identify this stuff, what makes Spags so good? Well, I mean, he attacks the protections, right? So what he does is he just doesn't blitz to call a blitz. I think most fans think 
oh, they're just calling a blitz. No, blitzes are like a, a Patriot missile. They are designed to hit a specific target and attack the protection, the rules and the protection. And so he does a really good job of understanding how the offense wants to protect and then find ways to be deceptive within the protection. So that's where he's really good. Now, before we go all down that road, I mean, remember Buffalo, 37, they had the ball for 37 minutes in the last time they played, right? They had, they moved the ball up and down the field. And frankly, you know, when you break that game down, you're sitting there saying, how did this happen? I mean, Buffalo had, Buffalo had, they had five drives of over 10 plays or more. They had 14 play, 11 play, 12 play, 15 play, 16 play. The last drive of the game was a 16 play drive that they missed the field goal on. Plus Stefan Diggs dropped a touchdown pass. So, like, there's vulnerability within both defenses. And I think ultimately it's going to come down to which quarterback, go back to your point about Mahomes, which quarterback executes under pressure. The other factor of this game to me as it relates to Spags and it relates to Andy Reid is the script, right? San Francisco has not scored a point in the first quarter in either, in either playoff game. And the, the Chiefs have outgained everybody, uh, have outscored people 46, 46 of their 70 points have occurred in the first half. So if they get ahead, if they play from in front, it's going to be really, really hard. And that's what worries me about, you know, I, I'm rooting for the Niners, but that's what worries me about that. This is author of the new book, Football Done Right, Setting the Record Straight on Coaches, Players, and History of the NFL. Also, The Gridiron Genius. You got that book out as well. Michael Lombardi, former NFL GM and front office exec, NFL analyst now, and he's got a great podcast on Twitter, at M. Lombardi uh, NFL. You talk about scripted plays, execution. That leads me to the coach of the Niners, Andy Reid. We know the pedigree there, the success. It feels like Kyle Shanahan, I said this to a friend last week, Michael, it feels like Kyle Shanahan's kind of Peyton Manning-esque. Like, sometimes his his over-preparing and his genius can kind of get in his own way at times. I don't know if that's a bad read on it, but clock management stuff in the Packer game and people like to kind of pin the Super Bowl against Brady and the Pats on him more so than Dan Quinn. There's an element with Kyle where he's kind of coming in, he's going to be doubted, his team hasn't played clean yet. What, what do you make of Kyle Shanahan going into this game, given everything you've thought about him or think about him so far in his career? Well, I, I think he'll, do, he'll have a good plan. I, I think, you know, it's the Mike Tyson line that hurts you, is everybody has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. I think that's really where we find out how they handle the pressure, what they do, when, they get, when you get punched in the mouth and you have to react to it. Look, Kyle's, you know, Spagnola's worried about Kyle because he's worried about how he's going to attack him. He's worried about what, what areas he wants, the formations he wants to get. And Kyle is very good at formationing the defense to cause them to have to make shifts and adjustments within their calls, makes them communicate. And then the running game, right? Everybody thinks the running game is just called runs. What you're trying to do in a running game is get a half a man advantage in one side of the, from one side of the center to the other. And if you can do that, you're going to get a hole. And Kyle's very good at creating that half-man advantage, and that's where Spagnola, who has been run on. I mean, let's go back to Baltimore. Baltimore, fourth and one, they run power from an unbalanced look. Lamar gets 15 yards. The next play, they call power again from a normal look, and they get 15 yards. And they don't call it again. They have 16 rushes. It's amazing. They just kind of abandon the plan, and I don't understand it. 
Is that an element of this game? Like, it's not a sexy spot, but Trent Williams is now at left tackle, not Joe Staley. Is that like an underrated part of the rematch between these two from 19 to now is that the left tackle was probably upgraded and Kansas City's rush defense is, of all the things on their defense, yeah. that's kind of the poorest area? Yeah, I, I think so. But I think the game's going to come down to the inside guards, right? It's going to come down to can the 49er guards protect and can they block Chris Jones? The last time they played in the last Super Bowl, they had a really hard time doing that. And one of the key plays of the game, third and ten, Chris Jones just blows up the play, and Garoppolo can't get the – he's got a slant wide open. He can't get the ball to him. If they get that first down, they're probably going to win the game. But they couldn't do that. I think that's the game. The game is inside what I call the paint, which is the area from one guard to the other. It's, the, it's really – it's our basketball terminology of the paint. What is the paint? That's where you have to get in front of a quarterback – to make him have to throw the football, whether you do it to Purdy or you do it to Mahomes. That's always the essence of the game. Who do you have in this one, Chiefs or Niners? I can't. I want to pick the Niners because I work for them. I've won a Super Bowl for them. I love them. Yeah. I like Kyle a lot. But I, I have no evidence that says they've played well in the last two weeks. And the, the strength of their team, which is the defensive line, has not been the strength of their team. They have not played very well. You know, with the experience you have, Michael, the only thing I'm surprised or I guess I would ask you is can you not think of examples maybe in your own experience with teams or just going through the journey of the playoffs, as you mentioned, all this experience, where teams maybe kind of fit that profile and then can kind of piece it together? Because by all metrics, the Niners, they, they've kind of flipped roles, the Chiefs and Niners, from the last time they played, right? The defense is mid, the offense is electric. They, they both kind of changed identities in certain ways from then to now. Can you not think of any examples just – in your own experience where teams maybe don't play the cleanest of games, but they escape and they advance and then they get to the yeah. big one and it can change. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately what it tells you is when you have toughness, when you have mental toughness and you have that resolve and you have that ability to, uh, to find it and physical and mental toughness is so important. And I think you can clearly do that. Look, I, I want to suit bowling with the Patriots. We were down 28 to three mm -hmm. and we come storming back. Now, what's made that game so fascinating is we actually were cocky. We thought we needed two point plays to extend the lead. We thought we would move the ball up and down the field on them and we would need a two point play to take it to a three score lead. And what happened? We needed those two point plays to be able to really uh, get back in the game. So the games go in five or six different ways. We cannot dispute the momentum factor of these games. Football done right, setting the record straight on coaches, players, and history of the NFL. I'll get you out of here on this one, Michael, because we appreciate the time. Uh, what was it about this book that made you want to write it? And what, as readers, can we expect to dive into and find out in this book? Well, what made me write it is kind of what happened in Detroit two weeks ago, right? 30,000 people show up at Fort Field to pay $20 for a beer to watch a game they could watch at home. And, you know, Fox never mentioned the reason they were there is because of the history of the heritage of their team, how much they love their team, how much they love the Lions. And it goes back to Buddy Parker, who invented the two-minute offense, who invented the two-minute defense, who invented nickel defense. And so I just wanted to kind of share the heritage of the league, the stories behind the stories. I wanted to talk about the great coaches from present from present to past, and the coaching trees. Like, where do they come from? Where is Andy Reid really from, the West Coast tree? You know, where is Kyle Shanahan from? And so they all come back to what I call the White Oaks, which is, the, which is a coaching tree. And then I wanted to kind of talk about the impact of television that's had on this great game 
and also I wanted to rank the top 100 players and pay tribute to some of the guys that I felt like were not getting their due. Sterling Sharp belongs in the Hall of Fame. You know, those kind of guys that I think are just not getting enough love. Uh, speaking of setting the record straight, and I, I think people that love football are looking forward to diving into the book, could you set the record straight as quickly as possible on Belichick and everything going on there? Because many thought he'd be the hot commodity, and this, this cycle has gone by and he's not going to have a job. Well, I think everybody's intimidated by his knowledge. Everybody wants to be collaborative. And when you have somebody with his knowledge, it's hard to create a collaborative situation because everybody's scared to death to go tell them what they think. Yeah. Good stuff. Michael Lombardi, GM Shuffle on the podcast. He's got the new book, Football Done Right, setting the record straight on coaches, players, and history of the NFL. Give him a follow on Twitter at MLombardiNFL. Michael, we always appreciate the time out here in Portland. Congratulations on another book, and uh, enjoy the game on Sunday. Thank you. All right, there we go. Michael Lombardi, author of the new book, Football Done Right, setting the record straight on the coaches, players, and history of the NFL. Swigard, we've got a Super Bowl. Yeah, are you are you getting hyped for it or do you need I mean, you're different cuz you got skin in this game. This is this is your team. Yeah. Uh thanks to Joey in here working on the uh, YouTube. On the feed. YouTube's Joey. Hey, there we go. Joey hopping in early this morning. Look at him getting some coffee that big bear over there. Growl. I'm feeling good. <laughs> Super Bowl is here. Let's dive into it next on the fan. Well, when you have four guests on a show, it, it really feels turning and burning. It's like, hey, we're free. Nope, we got a guest coming up. And this is my mistake. I don't normally do four guests in a show. I see radio shows all across the country. They're like, hey, tomorrow's show. And they'll be like, full show. Two hosts are in, five guests. And I'll be like, when do you guys talk about yeah, anything? When do you discuss. Which is fine. Sometimes the guests are the information, and that's yeah. kind of all you need is your guiding light. I'd forgotten Michael Lombardi was Monday. I had mentally thought Tuesday. Uh, but we thanks again to Michael Lombardi. He's great. He is great. He was joining us live from the Delta Sky Miles Lounge for that's sure. That's okay. He's a busy man. He is. He's, he's probably on his way to Las Vegas. I mean, he's a mover and shaker. He's been in the NFL forever. I didn't mean to make him hurt with the Raiders Bucks game. <laughs> But in all sincerity, Swigard, how often do we get this matchup? We all feel different ways in this game every year. I mean, largely, you get more consensus one way, and I think there are some Niner backers, but it's the rare, the favorite is the underdog, and the underdog is the favorite vibe. 83% of the bets, according to BetMGM, are on the Chiefs. 83. That is a staggering amount of percentage of bets being laid and it's probably largely Chiefs' money line because for many, it boils down to this. Mahomes, Purdy. Now, I would add a caveat to it. As dumb as this may be to some, I would say Mahomes, Butker, Purdy, Moody. And if you're not paying attention to the kicker battle, you're overlooking the plot here. This could come down to a field goal. Yeah, I think. Maybe the one reason people aren't looking at that as much is it's an indoor-controlled environment. That's okay. You think the Niners are feeling confident trotting that rookie out at 47 yards? Butker, short of Justin Turner from Tucker, Baltimore, you mean? Tucker yeah. uh, from uh, Baltimore, is about as reliable as you're going to get in the NFL. It absolutely is. And sometimes, as we've seen throughout the history of the game, that is what's going to decide it. I went through every Super Bowl yesterday. Not one. For any gamblers out there, quick note, don't do anything with the points. Don't take Kansas City plus one and a half. Don't take San Francisco minus one and a half. Maybe it's the first in history. No Super Bowl has been decided by one point. Not one. So just take the money line bet one way or the other. There you go. Uh, What for you 
is what's your big thought thinking Super Bowl's here, it's Sunday, how you're viewing the matchup? Um, I'm wondering if how San Francisco's going to go about crowding Kelsey. Can you force Patrick Mahomes to go to his second and third options? How reliable are they going to be? Uh, and then without sacrificing the running attack on, on Pacheco. And then on the other side, can the Chiefs, how similar to the, and I don't think they are similar, but I'm not into X's and O's. Uh, the, the biggest surprise in the AFC championship game was how well the Chiefs shut down the Ravens running attack. Mm. Like They shut it down. Mm. Can they do that to Christian McCaffrey? Well, I think they go about it a lot. McCaffrey's trying to get to the edge. Baltimore is essentially trying to run between the tackles. You know, the other thing about that, too, is, and it, it's not to discredit Kansas City. I'm with you. I thought they they played really good defense throughout. Baltimore also abandoned it pretty quick. They, they only did. had they six carries with their running backs, and that, that was their number one rushing team in football. I could be wrong here, but I don't have an opinion that Kyle Shanahan will only run Christian McCaffrey six times. You traded him for this. This yeah. is the moment you traded him for. And he stayed healthy these two seasons that he's been a Niner. He was awesome this year. I, I'm not going to overlook it. If I'm betting an MVP and I'm taking San Francisco because that's my team, you certainly wouldn't do this for taking Kansas City. Christian McCaffrey's the MVP. That That's... To me, that's the no-brainer. If they win this game, it's going to be because they consistently ran the football. I mentioned it there. Trent Williams is now in over Joe Staley, who was playing his last game of his career. Michael Lombardi, a guy with knowledge enough to be in the NFL for over 25 years, told you this boils down to the, to the guards of San Francisco. Can they contain Chris Jones, who George Kittle referred to as Aaron Donald-ish, and can they establish some consistency in the running game? I know people want to boil this down to Purdy, Mahomes, and many people will will choose whoever they choose to win the game based on that. I don't think that's the game necessarily. I, I also want to know, these two teams have switched profiles from 2019. David Lombardi, coincidentally same last name, wrote a really good piece in The Athletic where he highlighted in 19, the Niners were stout defensively, number two that year in DVOA, and about, you know, not mid-tier, but a little better than mid, like a top 10 unit offensively. Kansas City, elite offense, okay defense. Well, now it's 2024, 2023, and they've switched profiles. San Francisco is the most explosive and balanced offense statistically in the National Football League. Kansas City? Not so much. Defensively, it's the reverse. San Francisco, especially in these playoff games, has been kind of mid, and Kansas City has been stout. I don't know what any of that means for the matchup. I don't know if it is as simple as saying guy has Patrick Mahomes wins the game, but it certainly is interesting with the rematch of these two teams from four years ago, how they've, they've basically switched identities. Does that matter and pay any dividends at all? when they actually roll and play out the game? Uh, maybe a little bit, but I think the game plans are going to be somewhat similar. I still think San Francisco wants to control and possess the ball 
own time of possession. Just give Patrick Mahomes as few possessions as possible. Lombardi mentioned that, didn't he? When he said Buffalo had 37 minutes. And, like, largely when you get a team with time of possession, it's not often you see that they lose the game, and the Bills did. Can't turn it over. No, no, you can, and you got to make a kicks, even in the cold, windy weather. But I'm with you there. I think that's that's a very, not sneaky, but that's a really big point for San Francisco is do they get McCaffrey going? Even if he's averaging three, sub four yards a carry, you know what Kansas City did against Baltimore? They didn't abandon the yeah. run. Well, you're still going to be Debo, uh, Debo Samuel's going to be involved in the running game in some capacity. Certainly. Mitchell will come in and give McCaffrey a little spell here and there so he stays fresh. His over-under is four and a half yards. I don't know if he will. Yeah, it's I I couldn't believe that either. Wow. McCaffrey's is like 89 and I think Mitchell's is four. I'm this swag I I truly mean this cuz I think you're hitting on exactly the right thing. If San Francisco is going to win, it's going to be because they controlled time of possession and ran the football. And they traded an awful lot to go get that dude. Yeah. He is, I think, in most people's minds in that locker room, their MVP. And they got to put it in the end zone a few times. You do, but I, I just, I think overall, like they're not going to be shying away from McCaffrey here. They're not pulling a Baltimore. Kansas City kept running with Pacheco. I think Pacheco had 15 carries in that AFC title game. He averaged sub three and a half yards a carry. That's that's not efficient running, but you need it. You balance it out. San Francisco's in a similar light. We'll see what they do. Kyle with another chance. That 2019 season, by the way, was Spags' first year as D coordinator in Kansas City. Had a nice little game plan. Held San Francisco to 20 points for the whole game after a slow starting offense that got it going in the fourth quarter. I'm just curious to see what Kyle Shanahan learned from that Spags unit, what he's learning with the tape from what he's seen against Buffalo and Baltimore and how how he can apply that. And then on the other side, Kansas City. Are they going to get Kelsey free? Is Rasheed Rice going to end up being like a sneaky MVP guy? What about Watson, the backup tight end? Valdez Scandling's usually good for one deep pass a game. What do you do if that's taken out? The defense for San Francisco has already talked about how they need to gang tackle Pacheco because he's basically a bowling ball. One hit is not going to take him down. These There are elements of this matchup that I think favor one side, but that be damned because the other games that Kansas City's gone into, those matchups have existed, and when the game plays, none of it matters because they have 15, and 15 is that awesome, and that defense is that stout. So it's the Monday of the Super Bowl week. We'll have a lot on this throughout the week. We'll try to go to San Francisco. We'll try to go to Kansas City and get a feel for it. Let's pause the football conversation It's also NBA trade deadline week. Your Portland Trailblazers are terrible, and many thought they would be moving some of these veteran pieces. Will they? Sean Eichen of the Rose Garden Report joins us for the Daily Ticker next. In this wide world of sports, some stories can slip through the cracks. Now, before we do this, let's go over the ground rules. This is the Daily Ticker, where Dirt and Sprague visit the insiders that are covering the stories you've heard about, and some you haven't. How'd you do that? I'm not even mad. It's amazing. The Daily Ticker with Dirt and Sprague on 1080 The Fan. All right, Daily Ticker time. It's NBA trade deadline week. Yes, 
the drama that all the national pundits love to talk about year-round. Why talk about great stories like Minnesota and Oklahoma City when every podcast can be about how the New York, New York Knicks or the Lakers are going to make the big trade to maybe give themselves the best shot to get past the teams that nobody wants to talk about. Sean Hyken, our good friend, a great friend of the show, covering the Portland Trailblazers. Rose Garden Report is where you can find his work on Twitter, at Hyken. Uh, give him a follow on the social medias. Good morning, Sean. Thanks for hopping on with us. Are you as excited about all the national podcasts telling you how the Lakers are going to get better this week? I haven't realized that that, that that's what they're talking about. I thought that I thought the new thing was LeBron was going to go to the Knicks because he put a towel over his <laughs> head after the the game that they played the other day. Yeah. Well, why talk about Anthony Edwards being awesome and we could talk about a towel that was on LeBron's shoulder? I mean, come on, Sean. What are we doing here? We covering the league or are we covering the league? Um Trade deadline week, I think with this group of Blazers, they're 15 and 35. Close games, fought hard, played, I thought, pretty well at Denver, but they lose both games. They'll come back home for a while here, but the trade deadline is this week. Everybody, Sean, thought this roster, you looked at the veteran guys that you got in the Dame trade, you know, the post-Dame trade stuff, and thought, okay, there's a piece to move pieces. the, The intel or the noise, at least, is that not so big a rush to move Brogdon, not looking to move Jeremy Grant. Is that where it all kind of stands today as we go in this week? Uh, it's a little bit early to say definitively what they are and aren't going to do. I think it's. I think a lot of stuff is going to either unfold or not in the next few days. I def. I definitely think Jeremy Grant is not. Like if I if I had to guess, I mean, obviously nothing is a one hundred percent. Uh, chance of happening, but I think Jeremy Grant is definitely like very, very close to like, like definitely not going to be moved. I would that's that's where I would have that. The Brogdon thing is a little bit more interesting because yeah, like you said, pretty much all season everybody has kind of assumed that that's the move that they're going to make before the deadline. But they're really just from what I've heard, there just really hasn't been much movement on anything, and I don't think. They're operating. The Blazers front office is operating from a from a position of we have to move him before the deadline. If they don't get an offer that they like, they might just wait until the summer. Do you think the draft narrative of the twenty twenty four draft has maybe had to um, done some recalculation within the front office because most people are panning the draft and it appears they already have two picks in the first round? I mean, I do think it it decreases the urgency of of. Uh, you know, teams to just stack up draft capital because, yeah, like you said, they're going to have their own pick. They're probably going to, unless it jumps into the top four in the lottery, they're going to have Golden State's pick also. And so, you know, three picks in a draft that most people think is not the greatest. Like, if you wait until the summer, you know, and teams are offering a first-round pick, you can get a first-round pick in next year's draft, which people think is going to, even outside of the Cooper flag thing where he's going to be the number one pick, I think there are other people in that draft that, folks think is going to be and again this is way too early for this stuff as far as like projecting the draft but right uh i i i do think that they don't view it as this huge sense of urgency that you know they need to get more picks in this upcoming draft sean hikins our guest here covers the trailblazers does an exceptional job on twitter at hikin uh find him on instagram as well and his great work at rosegardenreport.com i highly advise anybody looking for good coverage Subscribe to it. Sean is there day in and day out every practice. He's there with Meringue at like the earliest 
appearances of any media member for every home game. He does a good job on Twitter, at Hyken. Uh, the Chauncey Billups discourse has been really interesting this year. A lot of people, well, not a lot of people, some people not liking him as a hire in general. And now we had gone two years without knowing if he's good. Here's year three. It starts out poorly. They lose by 62. And I'd say as of late, it feels like uh, the last few games here now, they, they've put together some competitive basketball where they're fighting and playing pretty hard against better teams, better rosters. What do you make of Chauncey Billups so far? If you had asked me that question three weeks ago after they had gotten back from that early January road trip where they got blown out in six out of the seven games, I would have told you that was the first time I was seriously thinking about whether I was going to be covering a coaching search in April and May. But since then, I honestly think that they've kind of stabilized and they have gotten back to kind of how they were playing at the beginning of the season. And now I, I think that I think there's been enough growth there and enough, you know, progress. Like it could have gone completely off the rails after that road trip, but it didn't. So I, I think it, I think at this point I, I would, I would lean towards there not being any sort of uh, change being made there. Are you noticing any, like when you watch them, I know we're not the heaviest of X's and O's guys, but like when you watch them, what have you seen differently that maybe suggests that this, uh, not turnaround, but more of a buy-in and, you know, playing their tails off and coming close to beating teams like Denver. Is there something you're noticing when you see them play the last, like, couple weeks? Well, the ball movement is kind of the obvious thing. After after that road trip, I was looking up some of those tracking stats that the NBA uh, puts out, and they were, I think, fifth worst in the league in terms of number of passes thrown per game when they had talked at the beginning of the season about – wanting to be a team that moves the ball a lot. That was obviously a goal that they were not reaching. But since then, they've, I don't have the numbers right in front of me right now, but I, you know, I think they've been top 10 in that, in that category since then. So that's something I think they made a conscious effort to address. And it's, uh, and, and it's, you know, at least so far, it seems to be working at least in the sense of, you know, they're competitive in some more of these games. They had the win against Milwaukee and then they, you know, they had that, they had that road trip where, you know, they almost won the game in Oklahoma City, except for the weird stuff with the timeout. And then the next night they beat Houston in overtime. And then they just had these two games back to back in Denver where they lost both of them. But, you know, going up against the defending champions and they uh, they I think held their own and they you know, they it was it was a respectable showing in both cases. So I think I think some things have started to turn around. I I'll be interested to see how the rest of the season goes, especially once maybe we get into March and April and some of the younger guys start getting more uh, playing time. And so we'll, you know, we'll see how some of that goes, but for right now, I, 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 I think people are kind of happy with, with where things sit, people in the organization. How do you feel about Scoot so far? He had a pretty big game in that first matchup against Denver. He had 30 points, a career high, uh, not so much the case in the second game though. I thought he, Kind of turned it around a little bit after a, a bit of a slow start. What have, what have you made of Scoop, so, Scoot so far and the development he has shown throughout the year? Panned a lot by some people. Uh, the random Real GM article saying, you know, it's uh, nobody's going to want to draft a guard that's sub whatever again. And, you know, it's not a referendum on his entire career. Obviously, he's 19 years old. But what have you made of Scoot so far? You're starting to see a little bit of growth. You're starting to see him stack up some good games. And I actually was pretty encouraged, even though he didn't shoot well. 
I thought pretty much everything else he uh yes last night in the second Denver game I was I was I think I think he played pretty well overall. It's just he, you know the, he wasn't making shots, and I think that's going to happen with a rookie. I, I'm like reflexively saying you know oh this 19 year old kid, but he's actually 20 now. He turned 20 on the off day between the two games, so you can't <laughs> even call him a teenage point guard anymore. Okay. But uh, but no, I think I think you're you know it's been it's been pretty rough. It's been pretty up and down. But I think over the last couple of weeks, you're seeing enough consistent growth and stringing some good games together that I think I know, I know that the organization is, is happy with where things sit and they kind of knew going in that it was going to be a little bit of a roller coaster ride drafting someone that young playing that position that, uh, that it was going to, you know, it was going to be a little bit of a, of a uneven path in the, in the first year. But I think, I think people are happy with where things sit. Uh, I'll get you out here on this one, Sean. What, uh, what do you got cooking at the Rose garden report? Ask me again on Friday once I <laughs> once once they get through the trade deadline. The good the good news about the way that the schedule sits this year is that they have you know they had the game in Denver last night. They don't play again until Thursday against Detroit, so they don't play anymore until after the trade deadline. So there's not going to be any situations where you know last year they were playing against. Uh, Golden State and Josh Hart gets pulled off the floor five minutes before the game because they agreed to the trade with the Knicks and they had to take him out of the starting lineup and everybody on the team found out while they were in layup lines. Like, I've never seen that before. But so after, after the trade deadline, I think it should be, I should have, I, I, I've got I've got some kind of ideas for, you know, stuff I want to do for the rest of the season, but I got to kind of figure that out after the deadline. It's just, you know, it was like get through the Dame game and then get through the deadline and then and then we'll figure that out. All right, there we go. Give him a follow on Twitter, at Hiken. You can find his coverage at therosegardenreport.com, rosegardenreport.com, a great uh a great uh, membership. I, I'm a happy member of the website, so I appreciate the content, Sean. We look forward to everything that's going to happen this week, trade deadline at the end of the week, and uh, going forward from there. Thanks for hopping on with us this morning. We appreciate it. Good to talk to you, Brandon. All right, there we go. Good stuff from our buddy Sean Hyken covering the Trailblazers. Uh, trade deadline week is here, and uh, how noisy will it get in Portland? That's next on The Fan. It's crunch time. Let's go! Where Dirt and Sprague crunch the hot topics you want to hear. What's the pressure? Don't sit here and act like there's no... We get nervous teeing off in front of a gallery on the 10th hole at Eastmoreland. Crunch time. Brought to you by Crunch Fitness. With memberships as low as $9.99 per month. Find your crunch time in Portland, Vancouver, and online at crunch.com. All right, welcome back in. Somebody said uh, they think Hyken just told me that's proprietary, Sprague, when I asked what was coming up at Rose Garden Report. Uh, trade deadline week. It's the week that most people only pay attention to the NBA during the regular season. And uh, a week that may involve our Blazers here, Swigard. Maybe. 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 It's a real stink around this team, and I'm ah, tired of it. You I don't I I I don't know when to really start honing in and paying attention. At what point do Joe Cronin and Chauncey Billups say, "Okay, this is our group." I'm waiting for that. I don't I, feel like they're there yet. Well, I hmm. I'm wondering if they're there in next year. Do you think they'll be there next year cuz I'm still not sure they will be. I don't know. I'm just 
wake me up when you say, okay, here we go. This is, this is the group. This is, this is. Well, I was texting with a buddy yesterday that works in the media and we were talking about this team and we kind of talked about Ann a little bit. I, he doesn't fit. Well, he doesn't. Well, certainly you draft a point guard that is going to be the guy that needs the ball. The guy currently with the ball is not going to have the ball anymore. Well, the ball sticks. When he gets it, it's a lot of one-on-one. He holds it. At least with Scoot, he's trying to move it. Yeah, I feel like Scoot is get-people-involved guy. Yes. Because, yes, he cannot shoot at the levels of Anthony Simons. But this is when he pops, it feels a little different than when Ant is popping, if that makes any sense whatsoever. Well, that's because a lot of it is Scoot is going to the rim and crashing. A lot of times, Ant, he'll get hot from outside. He will go and finish, but... and I've been a little underwhelmed with Ant this year. i got to be honest with you. I know he's been sick and whatnot, but I've been a little underwhelmed with him. And it's fine when Shaden's not available, but when Shaden comes back, don't you want to see, okay, Can how does Scoot and Shaden work? Yeah, what they would tell you, though, I mean, this is kind of their stance. This isn't me giving an opinion. Oh, I know. The stance seems to be, well, you think it's bad now. You wait until it's just rookies out there. And I think a lot of people are like, yeah, we know it'll be bad. We understand that. Don't we kind of need to see it? I think if you're asking for a complete and utter buy-in, I think you, you know, nobody thinks Brogdon's going to be here very long. People are like, is is Jeremy Grant still going to be here? Um. Yeah, it, I just okay. Mm. We'll see if they do something significant. I don't think so. The other thing uh, Scoot does that Ant doesn't—he gets to the free throw line. Mm-hmm. Like when he's got it going, he gets to the line. You know, he had twelve free. This random stat: he had twelve free throw attempts. This was post the first Denver game. That's a lot of free throws in an NBA game, especially for a rookie. You might be asking, well, how much is that for context? That's more than DeAndre Ayton attempted combined in his previous nine games. <laughs> Just like as a reference point, your big yeah. man doesn't get to the line. Ant doesn't get to the line. Like that's And that's not the most important stat, but it's underrated how important it is to get those points from the free throw line. I, I hear you. I, I think they're going to trade Brogdon. I think a team will be desperate. I think in Orlando... I don't, you know, it certainly doesn't feel like they're going to do business with Miami, but Miami would make sense for a Brogdon. There are teams out there that I think may get desperate enough. Now, what's the asset? It Young player and maybe a 25 pick is the best hope, right? Is uh, For Malcolm Brogdon, I can't imagine you're getting much more than that. Yeah, I like just, Brogdon, but he's Malcolm Brogdon. Just depends. And, and I haven't paid that much attention so i don't know what the market is that's okay it seems like that's everybody i don't know (laughs) if there's you know teams you know the only team i know that's uh, a little bit more desperate maybe than they would have been would be philly based on Embiid, and that only matters if they're trying to stay in a top four seed yeah if they're looking to kind of Tread water, get him to be out maybe a month or so well torn meniscus procedure Seems like a lot longer, but I, I guess yeah, I don't know. we'll have to wait and see. They didn't want to announce year over because for obvious reasons, but yeah, maybe it's Philly. Maybe Philly gets desperate here. They also could be just keeping everybody. And Sean alluded to at the end there, like this idea, 
the young guys will get minutes more. It's like, so are, you're already telling me, and not that we know they're not tanking, but so at some point you're just going to, injuries will start popping yeah. up for all the vets? Yeah. Just, and I don't want them to make a deal just to make a deal. No. Obviously, no, I don't, I don't think play, that's the position Grant they hold. Play, you know. Swag, they got Brogdon yeah. not to do that. They got yeah. Brogdon for legitimate value pieces. Yep. So will they move him? I, I tend to, I'm going to put the eggs in yes, that somebody will come through and be a little desperate and offer you something that you want to say yes to. But he's got another year into the deal. And right now, the tea leaves indicate Grant certainly staying and Brogdon staying. And so it just is left with us to continue to watch this team. They have been more competitive. They fought more and stayed in some of these games. Um, still not winning them. And we play the games to win the games, according to uh, Herm Edwards. So we'll see what they do. Deadline is on Thursday. Anything breaks between now and then, obviously we're going to talk about it. But uh, the Blazers with their back-to-backs against Denver and now they come home and they wait till Thursday to play their next game. We got a loaded final hour to get to. I got some NFL odds and ends to kick off the final hour with. Tyson Alger's going to join us at 8.15. Loaded final hour, Dirt and Sprague on YouTube, Odyssey app, and 1080 The Fan.